As of yesterday, these uh, were the jackpots for the biggest lottery games you can play in Colorado. Just curious what you think about those numbers. I would think as you look at these numbers, we probably fall into two camps. Some of us look at these numbers and think, eh, these aren't those newsworthy numbers. We're not talking billions of dollars here, so not worth my time. I'm not buying a ticket. Others of us look at these numbers and go, eh, I take it. Right? I, think, I think somewhere in the middle or one of those two is where we fall. But let's be honest. Whether we buy a ticket or not, whether we think it's newsworthy or not, I think most of us would probably take, especially the ones on the left. Right? Why is that? It's because we look at numbers like this and we, we do a little math. Money like this could subtract some things in our life that we don't want to have. Maybe our debts. Money like this could add to our lives some things that we do want to have. And man, the sum of it all kind of adds up to a changed, better, happier life, right? It's definitely what a woman named Donna Micken was thinking. She won $35 million in the New York lottery. And after that, she had this interview and she was quoted in the newspaper saying, my life has changed, my dream has come true, I have every fulfillment in life. And then a, a few years later, uh, somebody was writing a book about lottery winners and she was quoted as saying, the lottery has hijacked my life and my happiness. I am absolutely miserable. A man named Jack Abraham said, thought the same thing as this. He, he won $315 million in the West Virginia lottery. And he went out and he was able to buy everything his heart desired. And then four, year later, four years later, he was broke. And in that same book, he said that he wished he would have ripped up the ticket and never even cashed it in. And you can read all kinds of uh, stories like this, real-life stories. So I'm curious... Is life changed for the better? Happier? Not always, right? Would you still take that jackpot? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. This, this isn't a sermon about the evils of lottery, okay? This isn't a sermon about money. I wanted to use these situations because I think that they demonstrate a very important truth. The important truth is this. I think we underestimate the longings of our hearts. Here's what I mean by that. We think that if we could just get rid of this one thing in our lives, or on the opposite side, if, if we just had this one thing, everything would be okay. I'd never be unhappy again. I'd have peace. And it's interesting, very often, we can get that thing. Or that thing goes out of our lives. And we're surprised that we still have this same deep longing in our hearts. It doesn't fix it. Sometimes even more so we have that longing. And so that's what I mean. We underestimate the longings of our hearts. We don't go deep enough. And that's what brings us to our, our words in, in Mark chapter 2. And, and really more than that, it brings us to really the heart of this series about the life of Jesus. It's this, it's this point. 
that deep longing of the heart, it may look and feel different for each one of us, but really it's the same longing. It's, this, it's that longing for deep, lasting peace. To just know that no matter what I'm going through, it's going, going to be okay. If we want to experience that, we need to go a lot deeper than the lottery. A lot deeper than that one thing that we think if we just had it. If we're going to know that kind of peace, we need to know, to really know Jesus. And so that's our goal today is to, to get into these words and just see again who Jesus is and what he came to give us. So let's look at the text a little bit again. Some, some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. As I picture this scene, it don't want me to crass, but it, it sounds like a setup for one of those Captain Obvious commercials. You know what I'm talking about? Here's a man lowered right in front of Jesus. He's confined to a mat, a stretcher of some sort. He can't walk. Can you imagine if Jesus said, oh, what seems to be the problem? Right? You read this and nobody says anything. Nobody asks anything because the problem seems to be just embarrassingly obvious. The man is paralyzed. I don't know how severely, but he certainly couldn't walk. Maybe he couldn't feed himself. Maybe he couldn't talk. And so this longing of his heart, the longing of his friend's heart, seems so obvious. Just make him whole. Right? If, if his muscles could be strengthened, if the brain could communicate with the muscles, if, if he could control the muscles the way that everybody else could, his deepest longing would be met, his biggest problem would be solved, he'd never be unhappy again, he'd have peace. It's obvious. And yet these are the first words spoken. Son, your sins are forgiven. Maybe, maybe Captain Obvious needed to be there. And the reason I say that is because can't you just get into the mind of this paralyzed man? Um, thank you, Jesus. That's, that's wonderful. But I don't know if you noticed, I have a more immediate problem going on. I can imagine that, and I think you can imagine that, because I think we've all thought things like that before. We've all said things like that before. You see, our immediate problems seem obvious to us. That one thing that's really troubling us. That one thing that just seems to be missing from our lives. That one thing that is consuming our thoughts, that's keeping us up at night, that just occupies the bulk of our prayer life, it's right there, Jesus. Don't you see it? This is the thing that would make my life whole. Can you please give me this? And yet, what do you hear from Jesus? You open your Bibles. You come to worship, you hear the lessons, you sing the songs, you, you take communion. And what is the thing that Jesus always talks about? Sin and forgiveness. And don't get me wrong, we all think that is wonderful, but don't we have more immediate problems? 
Have you ever gone to the doctor and say you have this, this really sore, red, swollen throat? Or maybe you have a really high-grade fever. Or maybe you've got this knee that's swollen, you can't walk on it. And you go into the doctor's office and you can tell them what the problem is. They, they can see those symptoms. But what's the first thing that happens when you get into the exam room? I think. I haven't been a doctor in a while. Out comes the stethoscope. On goes the blood pressure cuff. Why? Because the problem seems obvious, but the doctor knows something. The doctor knows that the heart reveals the deeper problems. The heart reveals the deeper problems. Keep that in mind as you, as you think about this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Where's Jesus looking? Deeper, right? It's not that Jesus is unaware of the obvious. It's not that he's, it's not that he's uh, insensitive to this man's suffering. It's just that he sees deeper. He sees right down to the very heart of this man. He sees to the heart of every person where the real problem lives. And that real problem is sin. I just want to explain that a little bit because I think there's a lot of connotation that goes along with sin. So often we think of sin as bad things that we do. Lying and lust and greed and cussing or whatever list you make. And, and those, those things are rightly called sin. But those things are also just symptoms of something bigger. There's, there's sin on a big scale, on a deeper scale. And what sin is, is this natural born condition that we have. It's a broken relationship with God. I want you to think about this. God created people and he created you and me to have this close relationship with him so that we can experience the highest pleasure, the deepest fulfillment in him, in his love. But what sin does at its very heart, its very core, is it breaks that relationship. It's fractured. And so our connection to God and all that he wants to give us is broken. And all our hearts naturally say are, is, no thank you, God. I'll find all that stuff on my own in living how I want it to live. And so there's, it's, it's obvious then why we have this longing. Because we're no longer getting that fulfillment from God. We're trying to find it. That's what Jesus sees. And so when you understand that, can you understand better what Jesus is looking at when he sees a man lowered in front of him who can't walk? You understand a little better what Jesus sees when you come to him in tears. You understand what Jesus hears when you just unload your burdens on him your challenges, your, your suffering, your loneliness, your worry. Jesus sees it. And he understands it. He says, I have lived your human experience. I certainly understand and I care. And I'll get to that. But before I get to your broken spinal cord, paralyzed man, before I get to your broken heart and your broken body and your broken dreams and your broken finances or whatever it is, I have to go deeper. 
I have to fix your biggest problem, your broken relationship with God. And all of a sudden, when you're able to see what Jesus is seeing there, you can't help but see the compassion of his words. I mean, just look at the first word that he says, son. Literally, it's my child. What is that? That's a word of connection, a word of tenderness, a word that is just, it, it reveals he's longing to help. And then he says it, your sins are forgiven. And I just love this. He just comes out and says it. There's no long lecture about sin. There's no waiting for the right words of groveling. There's no insistence on future promises of future behavior. There's no, this isn't spoken grudgingly. This isn't half-hearted. This isn't conditional. Jesus eagerly and immediately speaks this short, simple word of accomplished fact. Your sin, all the symptoms of your sin, all the consequences of your sin, they've been sent away and they're never going to return. Jesus is so eager to say this to this man because he's looking at his heart. And with that word of forgiveness, then, what was broken is made whole. That relationship is restored. And don't move on yet. Just put yourself in the man's position. All those years of wondering, does God love me? Is he punishing me that I'm suffering so much? That guilt is gone. All those years of people pointing and whispering and blaming, that shame is gone. All the people and the events and the things that he was excluded from, now he has all the inclusion in God's family. So think about it. All the things that he thought a healing would give him, he already had because of the forgiveness of sins and a restored relationship with God. And I want you to know the same is true for you. All of your feelings of inadequacy, the guilt of the past, the burden of the future, loneliness, worry. You have in your mind that this one thing will take that all away, but it can't. Not, not permanently. But the tender compassionate words of Jesus that say your sins are forgiven. That gives it to you because your relationship to God is restored. But how do you know? How can you be sure? I'm going to give you a silly situation to prove a point. Let's say there's three guys up here, Tom, Dick, and Harry, okay? And Tom hauls off and slugs Harry, knocks him on the ground. And Dick steps in the middle and he says, it's okay, it's okay. I forgive you, Tom. Everything's fine now. Is it? How can, how can Dick say that? Harry, Harry's the one laying on the ground. I don't think Harry would be okay with that. It's not okay until the one wronged 
forgives. The one who is wronged is the one who can, has the authority to forgive and make it okay. A silly situation, but I want you to think of that truth as you listen to the, how the, story, the, the event goes on. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. Sin is a broken relationship with God. And so we can rightly say that God is the one who is wronged with every sin. Certainly people can be wronged, but ultimately God is wronged. And so in a way, these people were right. Only God, the one who is wronged, can forgive and make it okay. So what does Jesus do? To show them that he was indeed God. And to assure the paralyzed man. And to assure you and me that this word of forgiveness does indeed address our deepest need and restore our relationship with God, and give us true and lasting peace, Jesus does something that only God could do. He makes this man's body whole. It's a compassionate miracle, and it is an assuring miracle. So just think about that. Do you see it? When you are looking at Jesus, you're looking at God, and so when you get to know Jesus, you're getting to know God and his greatest desire. He cares about our sufferings. But it's not just outward sufferings alone that he cares about. Outward suffering is not the thing that is so critical that he left heaven to come to earth to fix it. No, it was the broken relationship with God that causes all those other sufferings. That's what he came for. So when you see this, it was for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus left heaven. He was willing to be tempted so that he could live perfectly and it counts for you. It was for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus was willing to go to the cross to suffer and to die so that your, pay, your sins are paid for. It was for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus was willing to walk out of his grave alive so that death cannot hold you. That's who Jesus is. That's why he came. That's what he came to give you. The one who healed a paralyzed man, that's the one who lived in your place. He died for you and he rose again. And that's the one who says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, you can be sure. 100% sure. And just think about what that does going forward. When that's your God, when that's your Savior, you can trust Him. Might you still have suffering? Probably. Might you still go through challenges? Yeah. But you can trust your God completely because He, is, he has restored your relationship with Him. 
So when you look at that and you compare it to my first slide of the sermon, those lottery jackpots, lottery jackpots look a lot smaller now even, don't they? And we'd still say, eh, just try me. But in that book, uh, that article, one of the psychologists who was interviewing these lottery winners said this, wealth can buy you many ways to give you pleasure, but happiness comes from within. I'm not sure how right he knew he was. How deep within? Now, it's easy for us to underestimate the longings of our hearts, isn't it? To think we just need this one thing or we just need this one thing to go away. I'm so thankful today that we got to know even better Jesus who knows our hearts better than we do. And when he forgives our sins, when he restores our relationship with God, that's when we find real peace. That's when we have real peace no matter what comes. So go home today assured of this. You know peace because you know Jesus. Amen.